Hello, friends. Welcome to the next episode of the Pacers Pod. January 25th. This is a Wednesday. Uh, recording from my garage up here in northern Indiana, where we've watched fat white snowflakes all day long. Um, it's actually been very beautiful, very pleasant outside um, after a mild winter so far. It's kind of nice to see some snow. And yeah, just in the garage for this this recording uh, because the kids are still awake. And, you know, this is, uh, I, I had to bundle up almost like I was going for a winter run just to come out and sit in my cold garage uh, to record this podcast. But um, I, I'm not complaining. You know, this is where I can get some quiet. And so uh, you take it where you can find it. And uh, I just wanted to record, I, I, I wanted to record this podcast um, just to kind of get, I wanted to talk about what this team's been like um, over the past, you know, seven games without Tyrese Halliburton. Um, and later on, also, I want to talk about the upcoming draft, or sorry, not draft, but trade deadline. And, you know, kind of my thoughts on what I think the Pacers, you know, not necessarily should do, but what are their options, where my mind is at going into it. And we'll just kind of get into that. But to me, that's probably the most interesting thing going on right now is that trade deadline and what kind of moves the Pacers might make, if any. Um, but before I get there, I just want to, I want to touch on, you know, the play of late. So the last episode I did was right before the Atlanta Hawks game, which was the first game without Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I had my concerns about the team without Halliburton. Uh, you know, he is the heartbeat. He's the MVP. He is, he is the franchise at this point in the game, uh, for our Indiana Pacers. And we felt, we felt his absence tremendously, um, you know, uh, the, so far, like the Pacers, they played without Tyrese. They played the Hawks. They played the uh, Grizzlies. They played the Bucks, the Thunder, Denver, Phoenix. Um, and, and they, so, okay, I think I just mentioned six games. Yeah. And then last night they played the Bulls, which they got their first win. But the first six without Tyrese, it was, you know, they, they lost all six games. And... Um, and they were they were in some winnable games. The game is the game against the Hawks. They were right in there. They lost on the last second tip in. Um, the game against Milwaukee. Milwaukee didn't have Giannis or, or uh, Chris Middleton, and and our Pacers were in it for most of the game. Um, they got they got stomped out by Memphis, which Memphis has just destroyed the Pacers the past. I, I remember last year. I think it was. I think both games were. 30-point-plus losses to Memphis, and so far this year, I think we ended up only losing by, like, 18 or so, but it was a 30-point. They were up by 30 at some point in the game, and it, it was over It was over going into the fourth quarter. I don't think any of the starters played in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, the, the game that surprised me, or one of the games that surprised me, was the OKC game. I thought after losing three in a row... Um, that, that, that the Pacers would be, I mean, OKC is in our class for sure, even without, even without Halliburton. And, uh, you know, they came out and just stomped us. The Thunder got up to, I wrote this note down, it was 31 to 13 with three minutes left in the first quarter. 
So, I mean, just getting their doors knocked off right away um, was just, it, it was just a, it kind of depressing. Um, when we played Denver, they didn't have Jokic. When we played Phoenix, they were without their big three. Um, and so it was just, it was just getting pretty dark. It was, it was sad. It was like um, all the positivity that we had up until that Tyrese injury, it really was starting to evaporate pretty quickly. Um, as far as like this season and what this team could do, but I think we've kind of known all along and, and this is going to kind of bleed into the trade deadline talks, but like, I think we've kind of known that, you know, we were ahead of schedule, uh, with, with the start that we had this year, huge, huge kudos to, I mean, Tyrese takes the, takes the cake with that. I mean, his, the elevation of his play has been out of this world. Um, and you know, the team, you know, we, we, we obviously, we struggled with that Tyrese, um, and I, you know, we we're not. I think we're going to struggle until he comes back. That's just that's just how it's going to, going to be. When you look at our team, we just don't we don't have we don't have that much. When you take away the best player like that, um, and uh, update on Tyrese though, like so he had injured his his left knee and his left elbow. Um, he's progressing for sure. He he's been doing like non contact stuff. Uh, in practice, uh, you know, so he's doing some running, he's doing some shooting. Um, you know, according to Tyrese, he's going, he's looking to, you know, start in February. At, but what he said uh, on, um, I was, I listened, there was a, man, it was an awesome podcast if you're a Pacers fan on the, um, the JJ Reddick podcast. Uh, he had, they interviewed Benedict Matherin and at the end they brought in Tyrese Halliburton and Halliburton you know, was talking about his injury and he's like, you know, we're going to reevaluate in February. Um, and I did, that's just, uh, that leaves it pretty open, uh, you know, reevaluate in February. So, I mean, and, and that goes to, you know, what is the goals of this team for the rest of the season? I think that the word reevaluate kind of leaves a lot of room for gray where you could say, you know, cause there's one direction which we, you know, we got a good start on it when Tyrese, when, once Tyrese went down with his injury, we, we got a good start on racing towards the bottom of the standings and trying to get a high draft pick uh, by losing six in a row. And so if that's the direction that we're kind of going to take this season, then reevaluate in February could mean, at Tyrese, why don't you just take February off and we'll look at bringing you back in March or something like that. Um, you know, I'm just making shit up, but at the same time, um, or, you know, are we making moves at the trade deadline that, that make it so that we're, we're trying to make an impact, you know, this season, then he might be playing, he might be playing, you know, the first game in February, but I don't know. And I don't know the injury obviously, but I just thought that that was an interesting word to use, um, essentially saying I'm getting better. Nothing serious is going on here but we don't have a clear date on when, when I'm coming back. Um, I looked it up or like Rick Carlisle said something, this would have been on the 23rd. So today's the 25th recording on a Wednesday. So this would have been a Monday. Uh, Rick Carlisle said, you know, that they don't have a timetable on when Tyrese is coming back. That's, that's kind of another little breadcrumb down the path of this might be longer than, this might be longer than what the two weeks we were told originally. And, 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 the, and you know, the, even when they said two weeks, it wasn't like they're like, he's definitely coming back in two weeks. It was like, 
we're going to take two weeks, and then we're going to then we're going to look at it again. Now, maybe all parties have every intention of like maybe like maybe Carlisle and the Pacers are like we want to get him back as soon as he's as soon as he's like healthy. We want Tyrese playing because we want to win games, and maybe Tyrese is on the same boat. Like once I'm healthy, like I'm playing, and I don't know. I mean, hopefully that's the case. Um, but it also could be some one of those things where it's like we want to play it extra safe. Uh, we want to err on the side of safety long term for you, Tyrese. Uh, and so this could extend further. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if this extends a little further than what we, you know, maybe originally had thought. Um, but that being said, like it's been it's been interesting or, or kind of fun for me to watch these games without Tyrese and just getting to see Tyrese. Um, without his uniform on, um, you know, being on the sideline, uh, he, I, I really appreciate the, um, the level of engagement that Tyrese brings when he's not on the court too. Like you see him, he's still like, he's still sitting like in that number one spot on the bench. So like, he's like the first player. He's basically an, ex- an, an assistant coach. He's sitting right next to the coaches like before any of the active players are, are like sitting. Um, Cause it, you know, uh, th- there's kind of like a pecking order on the bench where it's like, if you know you're gonna be going in early, like you might be able, you kind of like get to sit a little closer to the assistant coaches. Uh, but the, the fact that Tyrese isn't just pulling like a Kawhi Leonard and like sitting behind the bench or, you know, clear at the end of the bench, just kind of like, I'm here because you guys are paying me millions of dollars a year to be here. Like Tyrese is like there, he's, he's in the action, he's engaged. He's, he's the biggest cheerleader in the, you know, of all the, of all, like, just like anybody in the crowd. Like he, he's just into the game. You can tell like he's getting excited, he's getting pissed, he's, he's talking to the refs. Um, and another thing that I noticed, just watching the games, like I, it was on two occasions, like one of the games I noticed, that, and, and I was just a little surprised because he's a professional athlete and but he's also a young guy, right? Like Tyrese is probably 22 years old. He's sitting on the bench. He's just like eating candy, eating popcorn. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, just kind of uh, like not everybody, I suppose, is like LeBron James, which is like, you know, millions of dollars a year on his diet and, and his, his, you know, that kind of stuff. Like Tyrese just kind of seems like just like a, a dude that you could have gone to high school with who's just like really, really freaking good at basketball. So I found that to be a little endearing. I like the fact that he was eating popcorn and eating candy on the bench. Um, and I just, I really appreciate, I appreciate Tyrese being engaged in the games, even when he's not, he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be. And I think it goes a long way um, that the fact that he is there, I think, it, I think it shows the kind of leader that he is. And um, that's why his teammates love him. And, and that's what I think we, you know, as fans can be so excited about for the next, hopefully, you know, 10 years here at, with, with Tyrese being our franchise point guard, that this is the kind of guy that we have leading the team. Um, Lord willing, he, he's not uh, somebody that has lingering injuries or, or you know, we, hopefully this is just a little fluke and, uh, and, and, we can, and we can continue to move on. But I just want to I thought that was interesting um, with Tyrese. He's, you know, not even playing, but he's, he's still making an impact, just kind of being the leader. Now, we didn't win games, but, you know, um, 
it was just for me. I enjoyed I enjoyed seeing Ty I enjoyed seeing Tyrese on on the sideline. Um, I'd rather see him in uniform, obviously, but um, it is what it is. So the Pacers, you know, they, they lost the first six games without Tyrese, and then um, and then last night was last night was such an awesome game. It was against the Bulls. It you know the Pacers were out for like a four game road trip. They lost all four of those games. Come back to Indiana, play the Bulls. Um, had the Bulls won, the Bulls were coming off like a three game three game winning streak. The Bulls are a team that obviously had they have I would assume they still have playoff aspirations. They've just been massively underachieving so far this year, but they were coming off of a win streak. The Pacers were were dropping like a rock. It felt like the, and also in the, the way the standings were working out, the, the, I think the Pacers were in ninth in the Eastern Conference and the Bulls were 10th. And had the Bulls beat the Pacers, they would have flip-flopped. So the Pacers would have dropped to 10th, Bulls would have moved up to 9th. Um, but the Pacers ended up winning that game. They snapped a losing streak. They won the game 116 to 110. But it was just a hell of a game. It was so much fun to watch. Um, but the first half, you know, the first half left you feeling very similar to the way you felt going into the game, where the Bulls got out to a big lead. It just felt like, my God, this team is just almost unbearable to watch uh, with, with, without Tyrese. Um, they, the, the, the Pacers found themselves down 21 points in the second quarter of the game against the Bulls. And, you know, then to, to work themselves back, you know, they, they were down 16 at half. They were down seven to start the fourth quarter. Um, they ended up tying the game at 100 to 100 with, with just, just under five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So they just chipped away at that lead the entire game after, follow, following, after falling way behind. And, uh, you know, they pulled, they pulled out the win. It, it was a beautiful win. Um, it was interesting because I heard this stat when I was listening to some of the postgame interviews, and Rick Carlisle brought up the fact that so far this year in the NBA, there have only been 12 times that a team has been down by 20 points or more and came back and won the game. And this was the second time that the Pacers had done that. So they've got two of those 12 wins, um, which on one hand, it's like, well, you don't want to be down by 20 points. But on the other hand, it shows a lot about the fact that this team and, and you know what they've said all along from the get go about, you know, we're going to play with energy like we're going to play harder than the other teams, it it does pair well with 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 that mentality to be able to come down come back when you're down that big, um, and so uh, yeah, so I think that's something that you can kind of take away as a as an interesting little win for the Pacers that they have done that twice so far. When in the rest of the league, it's only been done ten times this year. Um, it, so you know this Bulls game specifically, I I, I noted and it, this is it's really fresh because like last night it happened, but um, the, the the crowd the once the Pacers started you know it, it was a slow build and then it felt like that fourth quarter was just like, um, it was basketball at its best. I would have loved to have been in the arena to watch that game because you could tell as the Pacers kept getting closer and closer and closer, kind of the energy in the arena, it was giving the crowd something to, to, to bite onto and to root for, and the team was responding. Um, 
I thought I thought uh, not the biggest game, but but one of the big games from the Pacer players was uh, Terry Taylor. You know, um, I wrote down here Captain Chaos, um, and that's just because Terry Taylor. You know, he he hasn't played a lot of minutes this year, and um, he had he got some minutes this game. He got twenty minutes, and he ended up with like eleven points, five rebounds, four of those rebounds coming on the offensive end. That I think that's where I was thinking. Captain Chaos because he just was he was just in the lane um, you know knocking balls out uh, making it hard for the for the Bulls to get the to secure the defensive rebounds and like I would I wonder if there are more so he he secured four offensive rebounds himself but I feel like he might have been responsible for tipping away more than that and, and you know maybe like he tips it away and and Turner picks it up or whatever it's like some other Pacer player ends up with the ball. Um, I just thought that the Terry Taylor, he brought a spark to the team um, when we desperately needed it. A lot of his action came in the third quarter when the Pacers were making a big run. You know, they went from being down 16 to being down seven, you know, going into the fourth. So Terry Taylor was huge for, for the team. I hope I hope to see more of Terry Taylor um, pending what path the Pacers are on for the rest of the season. And really, that it just depends. Like, what are what are what are we doing? Are we are we trying to push forward into the playoffs and and get some playoff experience this year, or are we going heading in a different direction where we want to we want to like really get a good look at our young players? Who do we see that we want to bring back next season? Who are we ready to kind of cut ways with? And Terry Taylor, if we go down that path of like, look, we're not trying to make like we're we're not we're not gonna try to make the playoffs this year. We're actually gonna pivot and go kind of the other way. I want to see a lot of Terry Taylor. I, I want to see if he can play enough. If he can if he can carve out a consistent role, um, I could see I could see him being somebody that 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 plays on a second unit and um, can can bring you positive um, impact every single game. It, it, you know, during a season, he's not getting that consistent run right now. And maybe it's not in the cards, but he had a hell of a game against the Bulls. And so um, it was nice to see a good Terry Taylor game. Another kind of low key guy. I mean, Aaron Neesmith, he was 0 for 7 in this game against the Bulls, but he had some huge, he had some huge momentum swinging plays. Um, I can think of a possession where the Bulls maybe got like a steal or something. There was a fast break. And I think it was Levine was going up to finish on the fast break. Um, and, and, and Neesmith comes out of nowhere and pins the ball on the backboard. And, you know, huge block. He had a huge steal late in the fourth. Um, so, you know, not and, and he knocked down some free throws. I know he missed a free throw, but he knocked down some free throws there at the end that we really needed to, to secure the win. And so Neesmith, Neesmith has been like a really... Um, I don't want to go too crazy because I can't say everybody has been awesome, but Neesmith has been, he's definitely been above kind of what I was expecting him to be this year. Um, unfortunately, that that probably is coming at the at the demise of Chris Duarte a little bit. Uh, actually, it certainly is. I mean, Neesmith's getting more minutes and, and Neesmith's a starter. Um, but I, I, I got to say, I, I like Neesmith. I don't love Neesmith, but I like him. I like him. And uh, I thought him and Terry Taylor kind of are two guys that 
you know, they don't they don't pop on the box score with that Bulls game, but they both um, I thought were big big reasons why the Pacers were able to end that losing streak. Um, kind of zooming zooming back out, you know, just over the last seven games or so without Tyrese Halliburton, um, you got you got to talk about T.J. McConnell and the fact that he he's been amazing. Uh, you know, T.J. T.J. Anytime he's playing, it feels like he's making an impact, and with Tyrese out, he's been he's been getting so much more minutes. Um, he moved into the starting lineup against uh, so the back in the last game of the road trip. So the Pacers had dropped five in a row, and then Carlisle entered TJ or put TJ into the starting lineup against the Suns. Um, he's had some you know career type games over this little span um, in these seven games without Tyrese. Uh, McConnell's averaging 15 points, eight assists, six rebounds, almost two steals. Um, he's shooting the he's shooting the heck out of the basketball. 62% from the field, 78% from three, uh, which is he's seven of nine from the three point line, and then he's shooting 100% from the free throw line, 10 to 10 um, during this span of games. He set his career high against the Bucks with 29 points, and he's had a triple double. He's had multiple double doubles. Um, he's just, you know, and the thing about TJ is also, he just always takes a back seat. Like if you're, if you're watching the, like the post-game press conferences or like the practice interviews, he's just always, he's always setting up his teammates and always talking about how, you know, the other guys on the team are making him look good. And he just always takes a back seat. And that's something that Rick Carlisle talks about with McConnell all the time. You know, he's just like the ultimate team, team first guy, um, and McConnell's also showed that he can ball, you know, like it's, it's not, it's not like, it's not just, it's fun. I, I like seeing him. I like seeing him produce at this high level with these minutes that he's getting, you know, cause it's not just like the little, Oh, TJ plays, you know, 12 minutes a game and ends up with like one of those little inbound steals and maybe a couple points, maybe five or six assists. And that's it. Um, it's, it's, when he plays extended minutes, like he's not just like this cute, feisty little player. Like he's he he is more than that. But at the same time, I don't. I'd rather have Tyrese starting and have TJ bringing it up, you know, for the second unit. Um, but McConnell's just been he, to me. He's kind of been the only person on the team that you can say has taken a, a like a leap forward with the you know since Tyrese has gone down. Um. We'll see here uh, another bright spot, and this is kind of like it's kind of a negative, but at the same time, I think it's I think it's a bright spot in the fact that Andrew Nimhard has kind of got um, you know just a little bit of a reality check, and I'm saying this with 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 love and and respect for for Andrew Nimhard and his game, um, but you know he was asked to to kind of take over to start you know with Tyrese, so he was the primary point guard. Um, you know, Nimhard is starting to get a lot of recognition, you know, throughout the NBA community, looking like a second team, all rookie type player, you know, kind of in that conversation, um, you know, and like the quote, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so like you, you, ex- you expect Nimhard to, to kind of back that up. And unfortunately, he's just like going through a really rough spot right now with his shot. Um his shooting slump is, is, is real. And 
when he is the primary point guard, starting point guard thus far in this small sample size, you know, it seems like he can struggle to just get the offense moving. But I don't, you know, McConnell does do a better job of getting the, getting the, getting the offense moving, getting other guys going. Um, but, you know, uh, Nimhard is a rookie. This isn't, I, so I, I guess, yeah, so it's like the, the silver lining of this is just like hopefully Nimhard realizes, not that he ever was like getting a big head for the role that he was playing alongside Tyrese, but just, you know, just realizing like there's a lot of room to, to get better here. And I, pre- I, I definitely appreciate the toughness that Nimhard plays with. Um, in the game against the Nuggets, I made a note about, uh, I think Matherin was like driving to the hoop. Maybe got fouled, maybe didn't get fouled, but he ended up on his back, um, courtesy of DeAndre Jordan. And Jordan kind of gave, like, DeAndre Jordan kind of just, like, stood over Matherin a little bit, just kind of like, yeah, don't, like, don't come in here anymore or something along those lines. And Nimhard goes over to, like, pick up Matherin, and then he kind of puts his hand on Jordan's chest, kind of like, step away, man, like, get out, get out of here. And then Jordan was talking and Nimhard was talking back and just like, he is, he's, he, he, I like that. It's, he's hard nosed. Um, he's not going to take shit from anybody out there. And um, yeah, I, I just appreciate that about Nimhard. For him, the rest of the season, like hopefully he just, you know, keeps his head up, continues to grind, keep playing the right way. Cause he, he certainly does. Like there was a game against the Hawks when he was, uh, so this was the first game without Tyrese. You know, the Pacers lose with that tip in. And Nimhard, you know, he, he was two of 16 uh, from the field. But I knew what he was doing. Like, it was like in the fourth quarter, it was like he was getting shots that you want him to take. Like he was getting into the paint and he would just kept missing. He kept missing little like floater free throw line type shots. But they were there. And so it's like you, he kept taking them because they were there but he just missed everything, unfortunately. So um, I don't know, just keep playing the right way. That, that, that's what I have to say for Nimhard. I, I think it's a bright spot, you know, in the long run for him to just kind of get a little bit of uh, uh, just a reality check in the sense that like, hey, uh, you got a lot of room to improve. It, you're not, you know, there's a lot of love that's been passed over to him. And it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, you got, you got some room to improve, bud. Um, Gotta talk about talk about the main man without Tyrese, Benedict Matherin. I man, he's had he's had looking at his last three games specifically, he's 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 getting it going. Benedict's starting to cook a little bit. Um, during the time that Tyrese has been out, Benedict started four of the games. He was the best player in the Atlanta game. Um, I feel like he was the best player against Chicago last night. You can make a case that maybe Miles Turner was or TJ McConnell was, but he was definitely up there. Um, he so like the game last night against Chicago, Matherin ended up with twenty six points, seven rebounds, couple assists. He was just absolutely superstar superstar level dynamic down the end. Especially like you're talking. I'm not talking about like peak Kobe Bryant superstar, but I'm talking about like a like a rookie who's going to be a superstar peak. I mean, Matherin brought it. He, he had 15 points in the fourth quarter. Um, he hit 
he was he hit this huge three point shot down the stretch that put the Pacers ahead, um, and I gotta say, he 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 knocked down this three. It was his only three of the game. I think he was like one for five on the game from three. But the one that he hit in the fourth quarter, he celebrated with one of those. You know, like everybody's got their own variation of like the three ball. Matherin took the three signal, turned it into some sort of gun, and he popped off like three shots. And it was like, damn, this guy looks like he has shot a gun before. Like it was, it was intimidating. I like, <laughs> not intimidating, but just like, it was tough. We're just gonna put it that way. His 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 uh his three point celebration at the end of that Bulls game was. It was epic. I, I loved it. Um, I, I was after the game. Rick Carlisle was talking about how emotionally engaged Benedict was during this game, and I noted that in the uh, in the second half or the first half in the second at the, towards the end of the second quarter, Matherin made a bucket, and then um, you know the Pacers went down. Or this was like towards the end of the first half as they're chipping away at that lead, right? So they were down 21. They end up being down 16 going into halftime, but like. With like two minutes left in the first half, Matherin, he makes a bucket on one end. Pacers get a stop. They're coming back. Matherin gets the ball. He's making a strong, strong drive to the basket again, and he gets fouled out on the perimeter. And then, um, you know, so it's play stops because of the foul, and Carlisle had already subbed Chris Duarte in, so Duarte was wait, waiting to come in for Matherin. So during, the, during that pause, you know, Matherin, or, uh, Duarte checks in, Matherin sees that Duarte's coming in, and the camera catches Matherin, and you can just read his lips, and he's just like, you know, what the fuck? Like, why are you taking me out right now? And, and so he walks over to the bench, all kind of, you know, just kind of pissed off that he's getting taken out of the game. And uh, it wasn't 20 seconds later, dead ball, and in comes Matherin. I thought that was interesting. Um, and I wonder if that if that might have been one of the plays that Carlisle was referring to when he said that, you know, Matherin was really like he was emotionally engaged in this game because uh, he put him right back in. I don't know. Maybe maybe not. But. Um, OK, also about Matherin, one of the notes that I that I that I had was I, I noticed that sometimes he just feels a little reluctant to bring the ball up the court like he, he's, he, he gets enough rebounds. And it seems like when he grabs a rebound, his first thought is get it to the point guard, get it to somebody else, get it to TJ, get it to Tyrese when Tyrese is there, get it to Nimhard. Um, he probably even would defer to get it to Buddy sometimes. And um, my thought on this is like, this is a good area where maybe Matherin could improve a little bit as he progresses through his career is, dude, just imagine Matherin grabbing a rebound and just turning around, I mean, just, and then just bringing it up the court, hardcore, um, and putting pressure on the defense that way, rather than kicking it to a guard to, 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 to push it up the court. I think, I think Matherin's comfortable uh, being off ball and, and not comfortable being on ball, you know, for very long. Like, if he, if, if he gets the ball, like, yeah, so it, it just show, to me it just seems like he definitely tends to defer, um, you know, grab the rebound, pass it off, and then he wants to get it back. So I think 
a natural progression for him would, would be to, to grab the board and just go. And, um, and, and then if you're looking at this team and all of a sudden, if you've got Tyrese who can push and Ben that can push, now if Benedict's pushing up, now you've got Tyrese trailing. We know Tyrese can shoot threes. So I just think it opens up a whole other dynamic of the offense in the, fa- in the, in the, um, in the fast break or not fast break, but, you know, just like off of a, off of a defensive stop, if Matherin's pushing the ball, I, I'd like to think that that, that could lead to a, an easier pace or bucket on the other end. So that's just one thing I'd like to see, you know, maybe moving forward a little bit. Um, another thing about Matherin, I find myself thinking that he's a little, he's getting pretty predictable out there um, on the offensive end. It, it seems like he's just, you know, he's going to, if he catches the ball, he's going to drive all the way to the cup and try to draw a foul. Or maybe he'll shoot a three if he's open, but not much more than that. It, it, I, I, and, and what I would like to see is, is see him hunt for more shots all over the floor. And, and at this point, I really don't, I don't, I don't care about the efficiency of Matherin in his rookie season. Um, you know, I just want to see him get the shots up and I'd like to see him, you know, Maybe, maybe rather than because the the thing is he's get, he's getting a lot of calls. Like I've, I've talked about this a lot of if you if you're a Pacers fan, you know people know he gets to the free throw line, but um, could he? There's there's a lot of times that he's not going to get he's not getting calls, and it feels like it almost just kind of feels like a turnover because it's like you're just gonna you're gonna just go in there. You got no chance of making a shot, and you didn't get bailed out on a call, and, and now we're running back the other way. So, you know, I would just like to see, you know, see him hunt for more shots all over the floor. I don't care about the efficiency. I've been very, very, very impressed with Matherin's, um, his layup package, like his finishing ability. He's, he's got some, he's kind of got a little bit of that English on the ball when he can finish from weird angles. That attributes to a lot of the and one opportunities that he gets. Like he's really good at getting to the hoop and drawing contact and finishing, or even when he avoids contact and finishing. Um, I think that's, that's gotta be, um, one of his best skills. Like he's got touch around the basket and that might contradict what I just said, but you know, about him maybe not trying to just go to the hoop all the time. But what I'm getting at is like, like evolve into a three level score. Like don't just like, if you're not going to shoot the three and you start driving into the paint, like find a way to, to, to just kind of pull up. Um, he does a lot of little floaters and those are decent. I just think that there's more to unpack there. Um, and one of the things too, like in that JJ Reddick podcast I was mentioning earlier, um, you know, what the thing that stood out to me that I thought was noteworthy of, with the Matherin interview uh, was the fact that growing up in Montreal, you know, he started out as a hockey player and JJ Reddick had a good, you know, you know, it, it was like, JJ Reddick asked him if uh, he thought, you know, maybe playing hockey and like skating, like the tree trunk, size legs of hockey players and your ability to shift side to side and the strength that that takes. That is the way that Matherin attacks the hoop. Like it's like those, that Euro step type action. Um, but he does it so well. And, uh, I just thought that was interesting that, you know, he has that hockey background and maybe, maybe that is helping him. Um, okay. The last thing about Matherin that I got for this episode is just, this was a surprising stat to me. Um, if you were to guess, uh, if you were to rank all the current Pacer players, one through 15, the total number of blocks that 
the players have achieved over this 49 games of the season, where would you put Benedict Matherin? Um, I was shocked when I was kind of just like looking through his basketball reference page that he only has four blocks on the season. Four blocks in 49 games, that's good enough for dead last on the team. TJ McConnell has more blocks. Uh, Trevlin Queen has more blocks. Terry Taylor has more blocks. You know, like the list goes on and on. McCall, or, uh, Matherin is at the very bottom. Compare, so like Matherin has four blocks. Compared to like Buddy Heald's got 14, Neesmith 17, Tyrese 16. It's just one of those things. I mean, being a six foot six kind of combo guard here and with the athleticism that, that Matherin has, you just think he would get a few more blocks in that. And I just think that kind of shows, uh, well, I don't know what it shows necessarily, but it's like, I don't know if it's maybe a little bit more effort on the defensive end or like aggressiveness on the defensive end, but he definitely has the attributes to be somebody that can at least keep up with like Buddy Heald or Tyrese as far as block shots, right? Uh, to, to my, in my opinion. But that's just something to kind of look out for, too, as, as we keep moving along and, and watching over um, watching over Matherin. All right, and the next guy I want to talk about just a little bit is Isaiah Jackson. So during this time without Tyrese, there's been um, a couple games. So like the Hawks game and the Memphis Grizzlies game, Miles Turner was out. And so in the Hawks game against, or against the Hawks, Isaiah Jackson started, he played 28 minutes, and, um, you know, he was he was very impactful, and he had 10 points, 10 rebounds, 7 block shots, um, and then the next game against the Grizzlies, it was a blowout, Jackson only played 25 minutes, but, you know, again, double-figure scoring with 12 points, 7 rebounds, and then another 4 blocks, um, in the game against the Hawks, the broadcast that I was watching was the Hawks announcers. And, you know, Jackson was getting some praise from them. They were saying, you know, man, this guy's he's got unbelievable timing and, you know, such a quick first or quick, such a quick hopper. Um, you know, and that's that's just what we've been saying about Isaiah Jackson all along is he has he has elite uh, skill sets when it comes to, to blocking shots um, and just his athleticism being at that 6'10 height you know Jackson's only 21 I believe he just turned 21 um, and you know when he gets minutes you just you feel his presence now there's a lot of negative um, things that Jackson is prone to doing such as you know, drawing offensive fouls, um, maybe not making the right read if he catches the ball and maybe there's an open man and he just doesn't even look in that direction or just, you know, he's a little, he can seem almost robotic out there at times. Um, like the game's moving really fast for him. Um, but man, it's undeniable that he has skills and attributes that, you can't that most guys don't have he has elite levels athleticism and for this Pacers team moving forward like you know I, I just feel like Isaiah Jackson is one of those guys that I I am not even close to being ready to give up on um it pains me that he hasn't 
found a way to to uh, to get more consistent minutes. Um, just yeah. So like I mentioned, you know, the Hawks game, he started, he played 28 minutes. Memphis, he played 25 minutes. Then Miles Turner comes back against the Bucks, which is the next game, and Isaiah Jackson gets one minute of action, and then. He gets a little bit of run against OKC. He gets 17 minutes, and he puts up 11 points, 7 rebounds. He only got 9 minutes against Denver. And then in Phoenix, he didn't. He got a DNP. You know, no minutes at all. In the game last night against Chicago, he played 7 minutes and was able to get 3 blocks in those 7 minutes. So that's the thing with Isaiah Jackson. It's just like his, his role is clearly undefined at this point. He's... He's behind Miles Turner. He's behind Jalen Smith, mostly. Um, and the way that the lineups have been shaken out is he's just not really going to get any, he's not getting any consistent playing time. And so, you know, for me, what I would like to see for the rest of this season, you know, we t- I talked earlier in the episode about these two paths, maybe that the paces are taken. Is it is it this path of like, we think we're competitive and we want to get more competitive or, you know, we're going to, to wait and, and uh, see what we have with the current young guys and and not and basically be more geared towards next season rather than this season. If we do go that route, man, um, I think you've got to see Isaiah Jackson play in 24 minutes a night. So that's my goal. Uh, or like what I would love to see would, would be to see Ajax get 24 minutes a night. Um, and I get a really good look at what we have with him because I don't, I don't know. It just feels like there's been recent draft picks, like, uh, like even going, I mean, I know it's a totally different era, but like Aaron holiday, it was a guy that just, you know, he, he's shown flashes, but we didn't really get to see him. He never, ever was able to carve out a role. And what, and you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, he's, it's not like he's, uh, it's not like Aaron Holiday's out there dominating the league at this point and that we were uh, dumb not to play him more minutes. So that could be the case for Isaiah Jackson. I mean, maybe maybe he's just not a rotational NBA player. I mean, there's tons of guys that aren't. So I don't know. But I would like to at least give it a shot, you know, roll the dice with him because of some of the elite athleticism and skills that he has. I mean, I, I just feel like he could certainly be somebody that could could be like a backup big you know, worst case scenario. Um, but we'll just have to see how the rest of the season here plays out. Um, okay, you know, just looking, you know, over these recent games, Jalen Smith, you know, similarly to Isaiah Jackson, it's like, I want to see Jalen more for sure. Like, I'm not ready to give up on him. I feel like, Miles Turner is 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 being showcased right now, um, and Jackson and Smith are clearly not they're not at Miles Turner's level at this point in their careers, um, and I think they're both kind of suffering with a lack of consistent role. Um, this game against Chicago, Jalen Smith he saw six minutes of action. He's had just a you know he started the season you know the first. 20 to 25, 30 games of the season, he was a starter. Um, and his role has just continually been kind of chopped down. Um, and you can, I don't know. It's, it, it 
Sim- I guess it's kind of like with Ajax too. It's like, I don't know, maybe he's not. Maybe he's not a rotational NBA player. But I'm not giving up hope on him yet. I, I, hope's not the right word. I, I'm not... I'm not closing the book on on Jalen Smith yet. Let's put it that way. He's got great size. In theory, he has touch. Um, he's still a young big man with with athleticism and, and, and size. And like those guys don't grow on trees. So I, I would just hang on to Jalen. Hopefully, he gets some more consistent run on the back half of this year, or he doesn't. I, I don't know. Um, Chris Duarte. Kind of another negative thing here. It's just like, man, you know, Duarte's had a he's had a really tough season, and lately, he's he's kind of letting his um, his frustrations on the season be known. I I knew that I would I would have described Duarte as being a tough player, uh, but lately it seems like anytime he's out there for extended minutes, he's chirping with guys. He's you would think he went to Ball State rather than rather than Oregon. You know, he's chirp chirp all day long. He's talking shit. He's not making a lot of friends out there with his with his opponents. And I love that. But it's like his play is not really backing it up. Um, and so, from some perspectives, it can look it can be a bad look. Um, but you know, he's he's probably just doing he's he's just. He's, I'm sure he's frustrated. He's, he's, he's probably scratching and crawling to get some positive momentum here, to hit some shots, to um, kind of regain face with the franchise in the league. I mean, it's been a pretty, it's pretty, it's been a pretty uh, kind of like sharp fall from last season where, where he left off. Um, at the same time, like Duarte definitely has skills. He's, it's just, he doesn't have a great role with the Pacers this season. So he, and he's struggling because of it. Um, another guy, Buddy Heald, you know, old faithful here, Buddy, Buddy's played, he started all 49 games for the Pacers so far this year. Um, but he's desperately missed his, his friend Tyrese, um, in Tyrese's absence, you know, seven games, Buddy's averaging 13 points on 36% shooting. When you look at his numbers over the year, this season, he's averaging 18 points on 45%. So about 10% less efficient, five points less per game. And um, Buddy has, you know, especially in that game against Chicago, I mean, he was, he's been good. I mean, this isn't me like throwing shade on Buddy, but just looking at the recent play of the team, Buddy's Buddy has struggled without Tyrese. Um, it could just be a shooting slump, and maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe it's not that big of a factor not having Tyrese, but um, it definitely, Buddy feels like uh, like the number one candidate for guys that benefit with Tyrese being on the court. And, uh, like, compared to, like, Miles Turner, for example, who I definitely think benefits having Tyrese out there. Without Tyrese, you know, Miles is still looking like Miles. Um, in fact, he's he's kind of his numbers have kind of upticked without Tyrese. He's being more aggressive on the offensive end as far as looking for a shot. He had it he had it in the game against Chicago last night. Miles had this little I think he had Drummond on him, Andre Drummond, and he shot clock was starting to wind down and Miles just was like, you know, he, he dribbled the ball five to ten times. And, it, and, and he ended up 
doing a step back three pointer, nothing but the bottom of the net, and uh, it was a, I mean, it was a big, it was a big play. That that shot was a big play. Miles has been playing great. I mean, he's blocking a ton of shots. He's scoring the basketball at a much better level. He's aggressive. Um, it, it, it is, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I want to see Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, but Miles Turner's playing so good right now. Like, if you were to, like, we the team would certainly suffer if he wasn't here. Like, if we didn't have Turner, we would not be winning as many games as we are now. Um, and that's just how it goes. Now, looking ahead, uh, the Pacers are playing the Magic, you know, tonight. Then we've got the Milwaukee Bucks, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Lakers, the Kings, the Cavs, and the Heat. Those, that's the schedule remaining up until the trade deadline. Um, I'm looking, I mean, those, you got the Grizzlies and the Bucks, which it's like, yeah, we're, we're probably definitely going to lose those games. The Lakers, Anthony Davis is just coming back. I think tonight's his first game back from his long injury. They still got LeBron humming along. They just made the trade for Rui Hachimara. Um, that's probably a loss. You got the Kings, who are currently, I think, third in the Western Conference. The Cavs, who are like fourth or fifth in the East. The Heat have, have jumped up over the Pacers. They're a playoff team right now. You know, and that's, you know, up to the trade deadline, which is February 9th. I mean, there's a good chance Tyrese isn't back for any of those games. Now, he, maybe he is, but um, so there's a lot of losses there potentially. And it just makes me wonder, you know, this Bulls win was nice, but, uh, you know, where where is this team going? And then that leads me into into uh, the trade deadline, GM mode. What do you do if you're Kevin Pritchard? Um, what do you see with this current team? What are your goals for the rest of this season? What are your goals for next season? And, 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 and just kind of like your three to five year out time frame. Um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, my my perspective on like I guess my general thesis of what I would do heading into this trade deadline is I would I would try very very hard to to stay to stay patient and to stay young to stay flexible I would be looking to accumulate draft picks and young players um, you know, there's no such thing as a crystal ball, but like, if I'm the GM of the Pacers, when, when do I seriously want, when do I seriously think I could be a contender? And how do I position myself so that we've done everything we, we can as an organization to have the right guys at the right times in the right place to contend for a championship during a, you know, a three, a two, three, four year window. And so I think the one thing that you can say from this season that you've, that you've gathered, I mean, it was so dark. I mean, it, not, it was like, you know, there were des- it was kind of desperate times, you know, last year, whenever before, like the Tyrese trade happened and we knew Tyrese was going to be good. 
we didn't know what we were getting with Matherin. You know, he hadn't played a game yet. Um, we were projected to be like the worst team in the NBA. And, but I think what you can say so far from this season is that we, we have at least one foundational piece with Tyrese Halliburton. He's going to be 23 years old starting next season. And he is already flirting with like all NBA caliber. So that's top 15 player in the league. And, you know, usually in order to, to contend, contend for a championship, you're going to need guys, you're going to need at least one or two of those guys that are up in that all NBA. And I can think you could safely say, you know, if Halliburton can, can, can stay healthy, like he's, he's going to be one of those guys. You know, you gotta you gotta move forward with what you have to some degree, and Halliburton is a perfect player to like. All right, lock him in. Looking ahead, when we're ready to contend, we've got Halliburton. Great, that's excellent. Benedict Matherin is going to be 21 years old to start next season. Going into next season, or if you're just looking at Hall or Matherin's potential, you gotta say he's a potential All Star. And there's definitely still potential that he could be an all-NBA player as well. So, great. You've got a second foundational piece, potentially. I would say Halliburton's locked in his foundation. Matherin feels like it, but there's, there's still some questions out there with Matherin. Like, what else does he have to add to his game besides kind of being that... Um, just a scorer, scoring weapon. I mean, there's certainly, he's certainly going to have a... He can have a role... But he's going to need to add other things to his game, both offensively and defensively, to be a foundational piece at the level that Halliburton is. I think Matherin has the, the potential to be a, a more solid foundational piece than Halliburton. But at the same time, I mean, it, it's perfect. I, I, I think those two guys are... You ride with that. I think you. I think. I think you. You project out and you say, "Yeah, we got. We got Halliburton. We got Matherin. Uh, what do we do from here?" Now, this season, 2022-2023, it's like, "Hey, we arrived on the map." It's about Halliburton and Matherin. The league knows that the Pacers have a young backcourt that's going to be around for a while, and I think that you just say, "Hey, great." That I mean. Going into this season, if we knew that that was going to be kind of the outcome or the uh, the headline of this season, that hey, you got Halliburton and you got Matherin, and that's that has respect across the league, um, you would take that. So I feel like hey, let's 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 be good with that, and that's what this season is about, and and we move forward into next season. 2023, 2024 season, you know, Halliburton 23, Matherin 21. In this season, I think best case scenario is playoff experience. So I think now we would come into the season, nobody would be projecting the Pacers to be in the hunt for the next best draft prospect, right? Nobody would be, like people would be starting to put expectations on the Pacers to take a leap forward and contend for a playoff position. And I think that the goal would be to, to make the playoffs, um, not to play in, but to, to actually make the playoffs and get a series, get get at least two home games in the playoffs and and get some experience with a young backcourt. Um, 
And and that I think that would be, you know, and probably finish the season like, you know, maybe like a 500 or slightly above 500 season next year for the Pacers would be would be great. And then this is when it starts to get interesting. And this is whenever I feel like so that's so I'm talking about, you know, not the rest of this season, not even next season, but then the following season, 2024, 2025. And I think this is when you start to hope that you have a team that's ready to start winning playoff series. So hopefully the Pacers, you know, they get that monkey off their back. It's been so long since we've won a playoff series, something we weren't able to do in the Oladipo Sabonis era. Um, Halliburton's going to be 24. Mathern's going to be 22. And I feel like from that season forward, maybe like the 2025-2026 season, we're contenders. 26, 27 season, we're contenders. And, that, you know, that, that's uh, one, two, three, four seasons from now. It's like Halliburton's going to be 26. Matherin's going to be 24. The iron is going to be hot. It's going to be time to strike during this time, at least for the first. Like, you got to, like, this is when I think the Pacers as an organization have to be ready to go all in. Like, I don't want to see them go all in now at, at the trade deadline. I, I think that this is what I mean by like, stay young, stay flexible, be patient. I think Turner and what I would be like, what I would be like, okay, Miles Turner. Um, he's been, he, if, my, if, if you guaranteed me that Miles Turner would play this way in the year 2025, three seasons from now, um, it's going to be hard to find a center that, that plays this well. Like he, he just is, he is, he's a, he's a high level center this year. I have my questions about Turner. And in my opinion, like I wouldn't want to pay Miles Turner as much money as he is going to get paid for this team, knowing that he's going to be 29, 30 years old when it comes time for the Pacers to really, really contend. I think that, the center is a position that we, you know, that we will be able to find later. And I'm not saying that we, I don't think we have, it's not like I'm penciling in Isaiah Jackson to be the center on a contending team. Um, but, you know, the roster shake up so much. Um, I just, I just don't, I just don't like the idea of getting locked into Turner for four to five years at $30 million a year and him being paid like a second best player on a team or, you know, even, even I would, you know, the biggest thing is like, we, I know we're going to max out Halliburton and I would assume we, we, we better have enough money to, to pay Mathering. Like, and so if there's anything that gets done that jeopardizes our ability to sign Mathering when his time comes, that's going to be a big problem. But Mathur or but Turner making thirty is just a little scary. It's it's very scary for me. And, and to me, frankly, I'd rather pay a center ten million and spend that twenty million um, on the rest of the roster. But um, this season, right now, it's like going into this trade deadline. I know there's a lot of different things out there, and I'm going to talk out both sides of my mouth here to start with. But like. My first gut reaction is to just I would I would trade Turner for whatever you can get. I, I would take it. I would just be looking at it as like, 
what's what's the best package that we can get out there? The set, like you know, if you're shopping a player, it's like, hey, this this team's willing to give us one first round pick and a promising young player, or maybe this team's willing to give us a, a, a slightly more promising young player and a second round pick. I don't know. You you be the GM. You decide what you think's the better package, but. I think you got to get something for Turner because what I don't want to see is us not do anything, not move Turner, go into the de- uh, go into the off season without having him signed, pay, or like overpaying, like losing him for nothing, or basically paying him what he's going to get paid. I don't like that. So like, I just would rather see us trade Turner for whatever the best option is we can get. And just accumulate, hopefully, draft picks or potentially young guys. And um, I would also be looking to do the same thing with, uh, you know, Daniel Tice is another guy who hasn't played a minute yet this year. But, like, if there's anything we can do to get rid of Tice, I'd be looking to do that. Um, we got Buddy Heald, Chris Duarte, even, like, one of those guys or both of those guys, I think, you know, it's time to move on, accumulate assets. I, I guess, you know, um, when, okay. I would be, so uh, there, there's like a selling mode and then there's like a buying mode. So the selling mode would be to like ship off Turner and, and maybe Heald and Duarte essentially, maybe, and Tice, maybe Goga and Brissette. Um, maybe those guys are looking to sell and maybe that's all the Pacers do this up into this offseason is just sell and accumulate, you know, draft picks and free up cap space. You know, those types of little moves that um, make us even in a better position to go after a guy in a year or two years uh, with all these with all this draft capital. Uh, because we know it costs it, it. It costs draft picks to trade for, um, you know, stars or. Um, mid-level stars and that's what this team's going to need to go along with Matherin and Halliburton and so that's the selling mode if we want to go more on the buying mode which I and I wouldn't mind seeing a combination of both but I, I, I'm, I'm interested in going after young players uh, specifically uh, young w- big wings like there's been rumors out there with Obi Toppin from the Knicks uh, PJ Washington with the Hornets Cam Reddish with the Knicks as long as we're getting those guys low cost and uh, low cost being like a, you know maybe one of our young guys like Duarte um, or maybe Maybe one of our later first-round picks this year you could talk me into, but I'm, that even is a little sketchy for me because none of those three guys are, like, guys that I could see for sure contributing to a contending team in a couple years. Now, there I've, I've heard rumors, and I just saw this one um, right before I started recording the podcast with OG Ananobi from the Raptors um, looking like he could be a pacer for three first round picks. Um, So the Pacers have our first round pick this year, which currently sits at 14, but um, I wrote this down, let's see here. So currently our pick is 
slotted for 14 if the season ended today. However, we're only two games behind or like two games ahead of pick number seven. So there's still half the season, you know, a little less than half the season to go. It's if the Pacers decide to take the road of, you know, we know this isn't our year. We're looking to pick up another. We want to use our own draft pick to pick up another foundational piece moving forward and kind of like kick that timeline back a little bit further of the, and the timeline of contending is what I mean. So like, we, like we, we're, we want to pick up one more young stud and combine them with Halliburton, Matherin, and then, you know, this 2023 top 10 draft pick and then move forward, which is the route that I hope they take. Um, we're only two games ahead of getting to pick number seven and we're five games behind picking number five. So we're probably not going to end up in that top four, but there's a chance that we could end up with like the fifth through the seventh or, you know, five to, you know, basically where we picked last year, where we picked up Benedict Matherin. And the thing about this upcoming draft is there are a ton of um, big athletic wings in that six, seven to six, ten um, range, which is exactly what the Pacers need to pair with Halliburton and Matherin. Um, and I definitely will talk more about the prospects as we get closer to, to the draft. Um, but there's a whole bunch of guys that kind of fit that bill. And I think being able to, you know, if you can have the sixth pick again rather than the 12th pick, I think it's a big deal. It's a big deal in increasing your odds at finding a foundational piece, I, I, you know, which is what we need. Um, and, and it would just, that's the way I go. But so back to OG Ananobi. So like if, if the Pacers decide to go for OG, I'm, I can be on board. I, I will be on board because OG Ananobi is 26 years old. And to me, if they make a move to go pick up OG Ananobi, that means, or really any, any, any player, if, if, if the Pacers make a trade at the deadline here where they're, where they're giving away draft picks to, to bring in a player, to me, that shows me that they're trying to win. Um, they want to be competitive, not just this year, but like next season and, and, and the year right after. Um, so they're, they're, it's, to me, it's like a sped up timeline a little bit. They don't want to, they don't want to be, they don't want to take it slow. And OG is is perfect because he's like a six foot eight wing that can that he's the guy that you're gonna put on Tatum. He's the guy you're gonna put on Giannis. He can knock down threes. I can't help but think about the the last uh, Raptors Pacers game afterward. It was it was great because the, the Pacers won, and I remember at the end of the game seeing Halliburton and OG were like talking on the court, and you know the players always like take their jersey and cover their mouth so you can't see what you can't lip read. But you can only imagine, you know, maybe they were talking about teaming up. And maybe this is something that's been in the books for a while. Um, and if it happens, you better believe that I'm going to be excited about it. And I'll just throw out everything. Um, not throw out everything, but basically, here's the thing. If, if, you, if you trade this year's draft pick, which I think could be a potentially like a top 10 pick for OG Ananobi, I'm okay with that because if we drafted a player that turns out to be OG Ananobi with that pick. Um, that'd be a win. That would be a hit. I think OG's not necessarily foundational piece, 
but he's that next level of um, next level of player where it's like, yeah, he's not going to be an all star, um, but he is a he is a a big vital piece to a contending team, and um, I don't know, I, I uh, I'm on the fence with that. I'm on the fence about trading this year's draft pick of ours for, for OG. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to, 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 to see what ends up happening. I, I do know for sure that, you know, we need elite size and athleticism. Somebody that got the combination of, of speed and strength, who's, like I mentioned, going to guard Giannis, going to guard the Tatums as we try to contend for a championship. We, we need lockdown defender at that wing position because we are so desperate for that at this point. OG's young enough, you know, 26. So if you go three three years from now, he's going to be 29. Back end of his prime. Um, I don't love it. It just, it feels like, would we, did we have any intention of, of going out and getting OG and Anobi this year before the season started? Or does it seem like a much better decision you know, that now that we're like, we're winning games and, and it wasn't long ago that we were the fifth seed in the East and you're thinking about just plugging in Ananobi and running out our team of, you know, Halliburton, Heald, Ananobi, Miles Turner, Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, which is, I mean, I'm on board with it, man. I'm game. Like, that's fun. But I think there's another path that's a little bit more patient, but potentially you got to bet like you, you would have, um, I think, a chance to create a team with a higher ceiling. And unfortunately, it, in, it involves like losing some games to start for the rest of this season. Selling off on Heald and Turner and stockpiling what you have and waiting to really jump when you know that you, you when you know for sure what you've got. And, and you know for sure what you need. And I feel like right now, like I, I, just, I just don't feel like Turner is one of those guys that's... He definitely could be a starting center on a championship team. But if you pay him $30 million, you're kind of asking him to be your second or third option. And I don't, I don't like our chances at that. Um, I don't know. The Pacers have a whole bunch of draft picks, you know. Going into this year or this upcoming draft, we've got our own pick, which should be could be a top ten pick if if we go down that path, and we've got the Cavs pick, which is looking like a twentieth. We've got the Celtics pick, which is probably going to be like the thirtieth. Um, we have a second round pick, and then from twenty twenty four to twenty thirty, we still have all of our first round picks. So we have seven picks. Um, so I think there's a world where Next season, you go into it and you got Halliburton, you've got Matherin, you still got all your young guys that we're kind of just waiting on right now. Like, I mean, I would include Nimhard as somebody you know you've got, but like Nimhard and then, you know, Ajax, Duarte, Smith, those guys could still be here. What? I don't, I don't know why I meant, to, I didn't mean to talk about those guys yet. I'm talking foundational level, big picture. Next season, Halliburton, Matherin. Top 10 draft pick for this season. So there's three guys. And then you have all these, you have all your own first round picks going into next season. You're going to have a ton of first round talent, which you would have drafted this year 
And um, so like young guys that you might be able to move to other teams to get back, I don't know. Essentially, with your own with all these draft assets, you could essentially pool those together and go out and get exactly what you need and 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 be ready to make a run two two to three years you know from from next season you know it's just fun to think about it's it, it's 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 impossible um it's imp- it's impossible to make those decisions i feel like because you just don't know what your options are if you're the gm or the pacers like what kind of calls are they receiving on the players that you know, like, like what, what is the best offer right now for Miles Turner? What is the best offer for Buddy Heald? Because if it's, if it's not, I mean, if it's, if it's like, if it's nothing, you know, like if, it, if it's like second round draft picks or, you know, like, I don't know, I'm just, it's just hard to, it's as a fan, it's hard to know what the reality of the situation is, but, um, you know, it's 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 going to be very exciting to see see what happens and what direction this Pacers team goes. Uh, in summary, I'm a little bit interested in adding somebody like OG and Anobi and doing a little mini run, but I'm more interested in saying, "Hey, we've had it. We 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 surprised a lot of people. We surprised ourselves. We've got some great young foundational pieces." We're going to stay patient. We're going to stay the course for this season. We're going to lose a lot of games based on the fact that we don't have a lot of talent because we sold off our best, some of our main contributing players for future assets. And then we're going to pick up another foundational piece in this year's draft. And then we still have cap space and we still have a lot of draft picks moving forward. To me, that feels like the best route as much as I love OG Ananobi and as excited as I can get about our, uh, a team consisting of Turner, Ananobi, Matherin, Buddy Heald, and Tyrese Halliburton in the playoffs this season. That'd be fun. That'd be fun as hell. It, it would be fun. But I don't, I don't know if that's going to, I don't know if that gets us to be a contender in two to three years. It could, it could, but um, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, that's all I got. I am going to, uh, wrap this one up, go eat some potato soup and watch the Pacers and the magic. So appreciate you listening to the pod and, um, yeah, much love later.